where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hello, welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Nathan Streifel. And Eric Morris. Oh my gosh, today is like a trip down memory lane. Um, I We are so excited to welcome author and journalist and all-around raconteur and bon vivant, uh, Robert Rourke, who I have known for many years. I mean, I, maybe we don't need to specify the years. Um, we don't do math. <laughs> but we, uh, we met when I was in New York and working in the theater. And um, <laughs> and uh, then kind of like starting a management company, and we met through a lovely fr- mutual friend of ours, T. Harding Jones, Thomas Harding Jones, the late and Harding great, Jones. yes, who, who is, is with us today in spirit. Yeah, I feel I, he what really you, is. What were you guys doing in the theater? Well, I was working in the theater because Harding was producing a play off Broadway called The Cover of Life. And uh, a friend of mine was working in a Broadway theatrical office and said, well, there's this independent producer who's like renting space from us and needs help. And so I went to work for like him. Like a production assistant kind of? Yeah. And, the, and then he, well, it was, it was I, you know, I had other roles on the production, like marketing or whatever. Sure. But, um, but yes. And then. Uh, what was your involvement and with he, Well, he, he was forming a management company and ended up discovering Amanda Seyfried and managing her and he was managing actors mainly but he also took on managing writers and one of those people was Robert Rourke who was friends with Harding. I knew Harding from my days at a magazine called Soap Opera Digest. He was managing soap opera actors and he would like send a car to my apartment to come get me to see so-and-so sing at some club on 72nd Street, weird things like that. And that's how we became friends, through knowing soap opera actors. Oh, so were you doing Soap Opera Digest kind of recap articles? No, I was doing like real interviews, histories of the shows. It wasn't a silly oh, magazine then. Oh, nice. And I, that's how I learned about TV. It was my first exposure to actors, mm-hmm. my first exposure to television studios, and my first magazine job. So were soaps, were, were they really big in New York at there that were time? Like, there were like, there were five filming. produced in New York at the time, no more. Yeah, I was going to say. They shut I, them I down on like one day. But, and then did they all move to LA? Is that no, they just shut them well, down. Oh, Gen- gotcha. But and there the are still, came. there are four left. A handful of soaps, and I think maybe they all are shot here in LA. Yes, Bold and Beautiful, Days of Our Lives, General, General Hospital. Hospital, and The Young and the Restless. Yes, all the classics. And there are some web soaps we just did a story on this in the post about some of the web soaps that are on Amazon and YouTube and Acosta are those like daily no they're not well they're not really daily because of the expense oh right so um yeah but they they exist so just a little background Robert Rourke is a newly published novelist um, with a book called Car Trouble that is coming out right now. 
Uh, actually, when you listen to this, it will it'll be available to buy. Over the so world. go ahead and purchase it. Hopefully, um, you've already read it, so that <laughs> when we're talking a little bit about it, we won't yeah, give any spoilers. Press pause, read this four hundred page book, and then join us again. You'll get more out of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he also is a. Presently, he's worked in many magazines over the years, newspapers, magazines, um, but is a television writer and editor, columnist for um, the New York Post. Uh, so covers the TV biz. Um, where you and where where were you born? In New York, in Brooklyn. You were born in a hospital in Brooklyn. <laughs> well, not at home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Siblings. I have a lot of siblings. I have four sisters. Okay. So, Nathan has read this book. I've read God bless you. Yeah. You're so young. I enjoyed it. It was a good read. It's not some... I typically steer towards fantasy, um, so it was nice to like, pick this something up. This is not read. a fantasy. No, it's very set in the real world. <laughs> it's set in the real world. It's a, it is a... It's a... I would say inspired, loosely inspired, by... Um, by Robert's life, and we can talk about like what's you know not in great detail, but right. like what's in re- what's real, what's not real. Like Nikki, the protagonist of, of the novel, uh, has sisters in the book. Right? Robert has four sisters, right? Um, if I had left any of them out, they would have been offended. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and grew up with parents who are not unlike these. Uh, this yeah, couple. they have some. They have some of the characteristics of my parents, but not all of the characteristics because you have to make a story, you know, and, and motivations and behavior have to make scenes happen. So the characters have to have a tense relationship that keeps the story moving. So in some cases, the tensions are heightened for the purposes of the story. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because you have to keep reading that. You know, one of the things that was drummed into me in my MFA program is you have to make the reader go to the next chapter or you are not doing your job. So is it, was it hard to try to maybe straddle that line between autobiographical and fiction? Not really. So it was easier. Or yeah, it was, it was just you just had to figure out a way to do it that makes sense for the overall story. So you can take uh, experiences and compress the time frame. Um, yeah. You can move things around. You can do lots of different things. But as long as it adds up to a sequence, then it works for the story. Yeah, I mean, you very specifically. I, I went last night to. Um, a, a really great talk that you had with another author. She was wonderful, uh, I wasn't her she? Name. Amy Wallen. Good. You you remember her name? W a l l e m. She's a, she was she from San Diego. Your, everybody. She had read your book. She gave a very thoughtful interview. She really um, read the thing on several levels, and she was so uh, specific, which was great. It was kind of great prep for this because I was like, oh, great. And, you know, she asked great questions, and I just thought. Like great, I don't have to do anything more because I had read read the book and I've known you for a long time. Uh, Although I, I don't see you often. No, not not at all. It's it's been a very long time. But I had read several of your manuscripts back in the day. That's right. I did. Eric get, is an early champion. I did get. Um, I did get Robert his first uh, literary agent who did not successfully sell this book. That was no. round one. Her passion waned. So when did you write this? 
the first draft? The first draft of this was written in the 90s. It was a third-person draft. It was a third-person story, and it had a whole other section where the narrator was an adult, and he wasn't really a narrator because it was third-person. Mm. But that was <laughs> scuttled. And um, over the years, you know, because when you, when you write these kind of stories, they're long-form stories, they don't really die. I mean, even if it's in a box in your closet, they don't really die because you think I can really. If you if you are There's able to get to back do. into it, you think, well, can I? Let me take another crack at this. So, really, that's what happened. I just was figuring out a way to make it work again, and I had uh, an epiphany. You know, just like a book where it just snapped into place. How to make it work? Make it first person. Have a new, stru- a completely new structure. Was- new characters. New scenes, new yeah. en- new ending, new beginning, um, new and lots of uh, turning points because that's really what you learn in MFA mm. programs is like you have to find the turning points in your story to make sure the characters are evolving, the place re- where the uh, story is set is evolving, so that it all informs all the pieces. That's what I think novelists should do, but I might not be. Well, an authority. Yeah, I mean, so so Robert used his own childhood and upbringing as, in Brooklyn as a jumping off point. Yes, and so the the character Nikki in the like the biggest thing in Nikki's life really is the fact that he has this father who is a hopeless alcoholic who is on kind of like midway in a downward spiral. I think when we kind of catch him. And uh, and the consequences for his whole family and how people around him react to that. Uh, it's kind of set around these cars that the father buys. So there's kind of this structure of these different acts where a new car is brought into the thing and it kind of builds and has a story within each set of these cars. Was that always... That I thought was so smart because like that was yeah that was one of the smart things I came up with in my life. You didn't do like that. That was new. I read this in a much earlier version, and like you said, it was third person. I do remember that other like uh, adult section and and things, Um, but structuring it around now it's called car trouble. Structuring around these vintage starting in like you know. The first car, I think, is from 1948. It's like, yeah, they're all from the 50s. Uh, not even, not, no, but the first one, not even the 50s. I think it's from the, the late 40s. Um, the Impala is, or it was like a... I thought I read that it's... Uh, it was a 58 Impala. Maybe it's... Maybe it's oh, maybe 58. 58. Okay. So, so, and then at one point, he are, finally turns to the 60s. Yeah, he gets, a, he gets a Mercury from the 60s. It's like so, advanced. So this, where did that come from? We actually had a Mercury from the 60s with the window that went down on the back. Did your father actually get um, cars from police auctions? Yes. Yeah, that's real. That that's how I got real. the idea for the structure because that was not in the first draft Be- because I thought we really need I need something that defines the father and I think the cars define him. It was a convincing way to define him to male readers because guys are so into their cars I thought I can get men to read this book Mm. if they can hook in to this older guy with his cars yeah and you said something last night that I thought was really like it was such a good point um, about what the cars say about 
Patrick. That's well, they're the all they're name, all right? they were all made before he had children. Right. So it's, it's a reminder of his youth because it's slipping away at the age of thirty five, and he's panicking. Yeah, he's in his mid thirties. He's got he's married. He's got five kids. And he gets cars from the era of when he remembers, you know, when he was like a teenager and early 20s. Yeah. When he was like cock of the walk. Right. And um, he's a very, he's an attractive, charismatic guy. um, Big blue eyes. Who just uh, is, yeah, he he wants a car to remember like when he was tooling around Brooklyn. That's right. And was like the coolest guy in school. Um, And... That, I thought, was really good. I liked it, too. I think it really works. I especially like how at the beginning, the the first few acts are more centered around this, these like cars and these moments with the cars, and as you get farther along, and I think as the relationship between the son and the father kind of cracks more in a certain way, the stories become more involved, and the cars kind of take more of a little bit of a backseat. You are very observant because the novelty wears off for the sun. Mm-hmm. So I don't describe; they're not described in such detail later on because mm-hmm. the father's become that much more of a problem. Yeah. yeah, I think it really works, and I think it helps. Without me saying, he's it. becoming that much more of a problem in the, <laughs> in the Oprah way. Yeah, and it. it it's just structured very well. I really like that part of, and that aspect of it. And the and the each section is a little bit longer. Yeah, as, it grows longer as the as the problems become more emphatic. So the that's why I decided the timeline would be would be a good way to do that timeline. Well, you get to know each of the characters better, and you want to spend more time yeah. with them. You know, I mean, because like besides Nikki and uh, you know and. and Patrick, the father, I mean, the mother is such a vivid character, um, and certainly Maureen, the oldest sister, um, is also very, she's got a personality, very vividly portrayed, and gets involved and starts meeting some of Nikki's friends, um, and then I think another aspect of it that I thought was new from when I originally read, you know, an early draft of it more things happen with some of his friends and yes. some racial tension yes um, and things that I thought really filled out your portrait of Brooklyn in the 70s yes in a very you know in a, in a great way I mean it's a, it's so well realized it's so carefully described I just think you know it's just it's really evocative thank of you that time you know, there was a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in the early 70s. Neighborhoods were splitting apart. People were selling their houses. They were going to Long Island or Staten Island, if you can imagine. And um, Well, like you said, you were living in a... You were growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood <laughs> that was rapidly changing. Rapidly. That was becoming more, much, much more much more black yes and there people were people freaked out and there were people like in real estate who were preying on this and you said last night sticking uh, flyers, flyers yeah. under people's doors my mother saying, remembers like, that very vividly and what do those flyers say? sell you know <laughs> the end is coming and 
people believed it. And they like would, the wrong people are moving into this neighborhood. The wrong people are moving. Now is the time to sell. They yeah. just wanted your house. So people would sell their houses and actually move out at night. And they would sell them at dramatically low prices and then upsell them yeah. to the people moving in. Yes. It was the whole, that happened a lot in Chicago yeah. as well. The whole white it's, flight it's, thing. It's sinister. Yeah. 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 Okay. Not that real estate is an angelic business, but in <laughs> 1968, 69, 70, it was especially sinister. Did you, did you always, were you always into writing when you were a kid, or how did that kind of come about? I always was writing, always, always, always. And then I got a job writing, and so I've been writing forever. I've never had a problem doing it. People have asked me, do you struggle? Do you suffer? Do you cry? Do you bleed? No, I just sit down and do you it. Just write every I day. I just do it. <laughs> Did you do? Were you into theater like the main character in the book was when you were? No, there? I just am a theater. <laughs> just, I don't have to be. I don't have to. I don't have to be. It. But I've known a lot of people in the theater. You know, a little bit when I was younger. But now that I do this, and now that I cover entertainment, I've been very fortunate enough to meet through the crossover between theater, television, and movies, uh, I've met the wonderful uh, New York theater community personnel with the NBC live broadcasts of, mm. you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, yes. Peter Pan, uh, The Sounding Music Live. Um, oh, have you met, like, Craig Zayden? And yeah, Peter I've Ryan. interviewed them so many times, and I was so upset. Yeah. Like many people were when he died, Craig died so unexpectedly from shoulder replacement surgery. And Neil Marin grew up near Tilden High School, so he actually grew up in the neighborhood that I described, like near the high school. And Craig Zayden grew up in Rockaway, so they both lived in the in the neighborhoods that are portrayed in the Neil book. Neil should read your book. Yeah, I should get Neil a copy of my book, but I'm sure he's kind of busy. But Neil's great and. You know, I interviewed John Legend, I interviewed Audrey McDonald, I mean, and the people from Broadway, especially like the set designers and like Derek McLean, the director, they are so into what they do. They're really different from people on TV sets. I mean, they are so into it in a way they are so committed in a way that uh, actors who primarily work in front of the camera are not. So having met them helped me sort of like... Flesh out the theater aspect yeah, of Yeah, yeah, like being backstage and, you know, meeting like the, theater personnel are like always a little bit on. Why know? Bye Bye Birdie? Because oh, a big it's section also, in the book that yeah, Bye Bye Birdie. Nicky joins a... His, he, he joins an am, very amateur production of... By Bird and by Bird that's staged in his high school. Well, it's like a middle school production. I mean, it's, you know. It's really a 49 cent it's production. It's a mom, mom and pop shop type yeah, of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a high school. But he, it gets him out of the house, and he meets these hilariously theatrical kids who are his own age, but they're more outspoken than he is, mm-hmm. they're more flamboyant than he is, and he is so fascinated by them <laughs> that he's like, I can hang with these people. Well, he finds a community. And yeah. I, you know, I find that to be true. I was like a musical theater kid in high school. Right, and you could do that back, back then without being the standard issue geek, you know, which is like the instant outcast, which is now how everybody 
how young people who are, are, were interested in that world, they instantly portray themselves as some sort of sad Outside outcast. Area. And it's really obnoxious because actually it's a very inclusive world and it's a very welcoming world and you're not mistreated. You're actually no, treated with nice. Right. And so I don't, I just, I, re I resent hearing that every time someone wins a Tony Award, they go up, I'm a sad geek, but here I am, I have this award, oh my God. So I get tired of that, but I didn't want to. That wasn't my experience with it. I mean, well, I know, but I'm just yeah. saying that's how people in that world sell themselves now. Yeah. Because yeah. you can check another box on the identity politics form. Yeah. In the book, yeah, it is a cool thing to do. They're having fun. And they, have, they don't even know what they're the doing, but they're having fun. They're like, oh my God, I hope I can. It's, it's right. fun. It's a nice thing. And they're competitive, like his neighbor across the street, Gina Martinucci, who's a folk mass diva. She, <laughs> she's very competitive. She wants to play Kim McAfee, but she's not, you know, she's, Nikki knows she's not really right for the part, but Gina doesn't know that. But so she's a, you know, how did you get the part? How did you get in the play? You must be the teacher's pet. So there's a little, there's a little bit of rivalry, but it's not at the bitchy levels you might see on Glee. Did you go to Catholic school? I went to Catholic school, and I'm glad I did. Why do you say I'm that? not going to suffer my way through that one, because I got into great schools. I went to NYU and Stanford, and it's because I got a really good education. Yeah, I, you know, I and I didn't have to worry about getting killed as you might have in a public school, which were, mm. but they were full of violence in the 1970s. Yes. It was people were getting stabbed in the hallways. It was bad. You had to go to a Catholic school. It was bad stuff. My and boy, he, I, I think Nikki says that, you know, like, uh, if he, he would be beat up if yeah. he went to the He'd never make the it. School. Yeah. With the problems at home, then he has to go to school and have more problems, he would never, he'd never make it. He'd be too vulnerable. He's and, a very sensitive kid. Yeah without wearing it on his sleeve. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's also, he ends up being quite brave, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but he's, you know, he's going through a lot and he, he's, he's pretty stoic. I think in those situations where responsibility is thrust upon you and you're young and impressionable, you just do it. He does, yeah. you know, he does kind of like lose it at one point, at a very understandable point when some dramatic things happen. Yeah. Um, and that's real, you know, he's a kid. He's yeah, 15 I, or something. I, I remember I've talked to somebody who has experienced kind of um, abuse or drama in their household when they were a kid, and I remember them saying, like, I didn't seek trouble outside of the house because there's so much of it inside of the house. Right. I most drama you know, avoidant. Most American violence takes place in the home. It doesn't, it's not really outside. It's what's going on in your house. That's why there were so many murders in people's houses. Yes. And families, you know, things like that. So did you go straight from uh, high school and then you just started at NYU? Correct. And, and you knew you wanted to do writing? English? Always. Always. And then I went... I graduated early from NYU, and then I got into Stanford, so I went to right to Stanford. And were you were you living in Brooklyn with your parents? Is that where you grew up? I was. I lived at home when I was in college, and then I left for California. The and that was the big break. Yeah, was that exciting? It was exciting. It was weird. It was a very dramatic time in New York City. It was the summer of the famous blackout, where thirty four hundred people were arrested. It was the summer of... Which you were there for? Or you were in Stanford? 
No, I was in Brooklyn. The blackout was July. I left for Stanford in August. Okay. Wait, what was the blackout? I don't know. There was a blackout in 1977 where the Con Ed, God, what's the name? Substation upstate. There was lightning hit it and the lights went out in New York City for almost 48 hours. Oh, shit. And there was massive looting massive crime. I mean, that was a time where New York was a little bit of a failing city. It was almost dead. I mean, it's just like there there was, it was some parts of, uh, well, certainly parts of Brooklyn, but parts of Manhattan were just like burnt out bomb shelters. Yeah, the, and the Bronx was like an ashtray. Um, <laughs> you know, there were so many poor neighborhoods. There were people, so many people out of work. This is pre-crack years. And then we had a serial killer running around called Son of Sam, yeah. who was shooting couples in cars. And he was primarily driving back and forth over the bridges between Bronx and Queens and killing people in the Bronx and Queens. And then he got bored and drove to Brooklyn and killed a couple on Shore Road by the Verrazano Bridge. And the whole city went insane. Right before I met you, Robert, I was actually working at a law firm in New York, um, and a person that worked there was one of his victims that got away. Oh, really? Judy Placido. Wow. A she victim was, that got away, like well, she got shot. Because he would, he, he would, he would like shoot the boyfriend or the girlfriend. So sometimes the, he left the guy would dead. get killed. He left her for dead. Yeah. She, she was, he was, she was making out with a guy in, in a car. Um, I think killed the guy yeah and she was one of the only ones that survived so every year every on the anniversary or you know like she her picture would be plastered in the new york post your paper um and she would just be like she you you would never ask her about it like people would whisper like on the day that her paper her picture was in the paper people would say you know that's Judy from right there, and but no one would ever say anything to her. I mean, like you just thought, like, oh my God, what? So he he targeted girls with long brown hair, and my sisters would have nightmares that he was like <laughs> coming up through their windows. I mean, he was it was terrifying. So there were all, it was all this stuff going on. So it was a good time to leave New York. And you went straight from undergrad to grad school. Correct. What, what, did you just know you wanted to get That's more education? That's funny, though, that you, how you portray your, like, leaving New York. is like, people being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> like, I gotta go. go. I'm, going, I'm going to Palo Alto. That's Thank right. You. The exit stage right. <laughs> I had a professor at NYU um, who got her PhD at Stanford. Her name is Peggy Comstock. And she took me aside and said... There was a master's program at Stanford that's only a year and I think you sh a year long and I think you should apply for it. Hmm. So when people come up to me and say things like that, I always do what they tell me to do. Sure. So I applied and I got in. And it was writing, dramatic writing. It was no, it was English lit, English and American lit. Gotcha. And that was a year and I stayed after I graduated. I stayed there and I worked. At the Stanford, there were no jobs. I worked at the Stanford University Medical Hospital. <laughs> and someone who I worked with came to the reading last night. Oh my God, from way a back girl, then? Yes, we exchanged Christmas cards. Her name is Lori Bello. She lives in friendly Arlington, Virginia. She works in the general medical clinic. I worked in outpatient registration. And 
we exchanged Christmas cards for, th- you know, years and years and years. Eventually, I met another friend who lived in Arlington, and I said, you should meet my friend Lori. Mm-hmm. And they became best friends. Oh my god, that's so funny. She came to surprise you. Yes. I heard her talking. We Did were she flew in from... She was visiting somebody in Pasadena. She was born in California. She had a gotcha. high school reunion yes. to attend. And she, she saw that this event was happening. And she's like, I'm going to stay to go to Robert's book signing and surprise him. Which, it was, what a lovely thing. It was so great. My eyes, was, I thought it was like, what, who am I looking at? Yeah. Is this your first published book? Yes. What is that like? How it's, does that feel? It's, it's really great. Have you written a lot of novels, fiction? I have manuscripts all over my apartment. Mm-hmm. Some I made discovered recently when I was having electrical lines replaced in my kitchen and gas lines replaced. I found a whole bag of stuff that I forgot. I that think I still have Oh my some God, you've written so yours. much. That's to right. To find a box or a bag of I was like what's in here I was like go- I was throwing stuff out yeah, go, what's, oh, what's there <laughs> what's there I said oh god I think I still have like a huge pile of papers that why do you feel still like have s- that I think I might have thrown it away finally god but it, it, I kept it with me for like it was it's in devoted. my present apartment I don't know why there's no point why? I mean I like <laughs> what am I doing with that <laughs> you like the story so how did this one What? What? why do you think this one was the first one or did it just work or Oh, because I worked on it the most, and I I think the first person narration worked. I think the cars was a great hook. And when I sent the story to my editor, they couldn't get it out of their heads. So even though it wasn't a genre book, which most publishers want a genre book, is it for girls? Is it for guys? Is it a caper? Is it a mystery? Is there a detective we can follow through a series? Is it Twilight? Is it The Hunger Games? (laughs) Is it chick lit? Is, is it mommy? Is it mommy lit? Is it divorce lit? This is none of that. So, uh, who are you know, you it has to be really good. This is very autobiographical, though, because when I was reading it, I it's so detailed and specific in the location and time. I was just thinking, this has to draw so much from where you come from. Well, I had to go back and look at the old neighborhood many, many times. Oh, you did. You kind of did some. Research of I had to go make sure everything was still there, or like it was still as I remembered it, and I could remember the size of the buildings, or you know, the side door to a bar. Is that still there? Or am I sure it was like that, or am I, am I misremembering it? Mm. And the cemetery, many times I went back. Who are your publishers, you know, aiming the marketing at? Brooklyn, anybody who grew up in Brooklyn, yeah. mm. uh, older folks, and but they have done a lot of educational outreach to high schools and colleges. I saw some things about, like, you know, like, this would be great for, like, teenagers, like, kids the same uh, age as as Nikki, you know, to read. I I guess. I mean, it's not really, it's not a young adult. No, I didn't want to go that route, nor did I want to make this book into the YA formula because that is A is another that's another formula just like that's a genre. It's a genre. Like, the caper book, the mommy lit, the chick lit. I mean, they just try to compress everything into these formulas to get them into the marketplace so that Americans who like repetition know exactly what they're getting. Well, you, you know, as a journalist, as someone who covers television and writes about, you know, entertainment, I feel like you've approached getting a book published in a very kind of like investigative way, you know? Oh, just like, I hadn't thought of that. How do they, okay, like, what, who's looking for what? 
Where do I go? Who do I need to reach? I mean, I just have to say, like, I so admire your tenacity. I mean, oh, bless you. Well, like, I know. I'm such a pain in the ass. I, I won't give up. You know, I, I, That's did, have to be. I did find you that literary agent who's a perfectly lovely, successful person, but didn't didn't sell your book and then just, you know, stopped returning anyone's calls, I guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, you kept at it. You're like, okay, well, it's, you know what? Didn't work out there. Now I got to get it to other people. You think um, the book's better for that? Yeah, because I'm a better writer. And the tone is better and it's, it's more compassionate. The characters are certainly better developed. And I'm older, so I can look at situations with you know more perspective yeah you know a lot of people want to publish when they're 24 when they're 25 like the the competition is on like get your first book out and then they run out of stuff to write about you know and and Mm. (laughs) and there's no there's nothing there you know and then what do they do there so they get a teaching job somewhere you can't write a book just because you want to write a book but they want they want that book they want that book they want to say i've got this book they want the deal they want the the platform you know well you probably after all of these years as a journalist you know you just probably have more confidence i mean you've been a paid writer of lots of different types of things um you know for um for Decades. Seventeen magazine for Soap Opera Digest for um, the New York Post, L.A. Times. Yeah. Did you have an um, a lit agent for novels the whole your whole career? Have you always had somebody you've been? No, no. I've had other people who try with other things, and I just couldn't get any. You know, it was like sort of like the never. I was never the. Never the right story at the right time mm. until now. And I think it was, I was finally able to pull all the strands together and make it uh, a compelling read. Who's your agent for this? Her name is Liza Fleissig, F-L-E-I-S-S-I-G. And, sh- and when did you start working with her? I started working with her, I think, three or four years ago. And we tried with another manuscript that didn't... Well, she only sent it to four people, and she got bored with that, too. So... Um, then I said, well, I'm going to try something else and I'll let you know. So then... Well, that, that, that wasn't Felix, was it? No. Then I started working on this. So that was, it was a third story. I have lots of books at home. And is there like a back and forth with you two? You send her the thing and she gives you notes? Is that... No. What happened? <laughs> what, I gave her notes. I set this whole thing up. I, when I worked on this, um, and I thought, you know, this is really finished. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a, man, a professional manuscript appraisal from a, a, this man, Dominic Smith, who taught in my program. What's a professional manuscript appraisal? A professional manuscript appraisal in this instance was me going to a anniversary celebration at my MFA program, Warren Wilson, in North Carolina, outside Asheville. And there was a silent auction, so you could bid on several things. And it was all to raise money for a scholarship program. Mm-hmm. So you, you could bid on, for example, hosting a writer's workshop in the broken down cabin of a professor in Vermont. Or you could bid on a manuscript appraisal with a series of different people. And it was open to fiction writers and poets. Those are such cool gifts. Right. Better so then you had to, I had to duke it out, right? Because I, <laughs> I want a Dominic Smith and this poet 
who lives in Los Angeles and works for Sony, wanted also <laughs> Dominic. And I had to, I like shadow him. And he was shadowing me. And he kept raising the ante on the bed. I was like, I'm going to go broke. But I was determined. I was not going to go back to New York without the manuscript bid. And I won. So you won it. I won. So then when it was done, I had to contact Dominic and say, all right, I'm done. When can you read this? What's a good time? And Dominic's on the hook at this point. He's on the hook. He's volunteered. So um, he's a teacher too. So I had to make sure his schedule was clear. So we agreed on a time to submit it. And then he wrote me a letter for the sum I paid. You get a letter where he talks about the strengths and weaknesses you get a 60 minute phone call mm. after you've read the letter and then he makes notes in the actual manuscript mm. so um, he wrote back saying that he loved it and he got it like I didn't have to do oh my god the horrifying idea of an origin story like let's hear about how the dad ate lead paint and that's what made him drink yeah, like because right. you know, that horrifying thing that you have to do like I won't do, and sure. I was I was refused to do and it. And it was already structured at this point. This was the cars are in, everything's And no one wants the information dump in chapter fourteen about how there were all children and ate, ate you lead don't paint. Need it. Well you it's, don't need it's it. It's real because it's from Nikki's perspective. Right. And he doesn't know what made That's his right. Drink. That's right, because he's fifteen. Mm. He, he doesn't he know he joined just, this story in progress. Right. You know? Thank you. But some people don't understand that. They still want this doc they don't want they don't know what fiction is, so they want the documentary. Mm. So anyway, so Dominic said, this is really, you're almost there, but I would like you to address the following items, and then I think you're ready to send it out. So he wanted more vulnerability from Nikki. He wanted um, certain scenes with the father and the son to uh, go on a little bit longer. He, he wanted, um, yeah, there's a scene where the, pa- the father is he thinks he's been wronged. He made, the father's made a couple of bad decisions which result in a life change for him. And he thinks that he can uh, get revenge on people who may have victimized him. Mm. So he takes, he basically kidnaps Nikki after his rehearsal for the play. And, you know, he's, Nikki's in the passengers. He doesn't know where the father's taking him, but they're parked on a side street. The father says, you stay here. I need you to watch the car. And the father takes something out of the trunk and disappears around the corner. And Nikki doesn't know what is going on. But the father comes back and his hand is covered with blood. And it's like, Nikki's like, what are you doing? Yes. What are you doing? I mean, you can get away. More a re- secret keeping. Yeah. So he wanted that scene to be as long as it is now. Uh, a couple of other things that he wanted were, you know, he didn't even like the title, but I liked the title. Was it uh, Car Trouble? Yeah, and he wanted me to change it. I said no. And uh, so anyway, when this is all done, I s- phoned an editor whom I knew from my past. And she knew Dominic, because Dominic's editor at Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux was one of her best friends mm-hmm. so she knew Dominic and she knew I was working with Dominic so she knew that when she got the manuscript it would be in good shape so she I said like on the 4th of July weekend on that Friday night I'm ready to send it to you she this said send it to me now this wasn't this 4th of July right? no a couple was, of years ago okay. um, and um, it was last 4th of July 
What a long process. So you send it to the editor, and she's like... She read... I thought, I'm not going to so hear from her for... you submitted it to her, not your agent. No, I called my... Well, my agent has to submit it legally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Dominic connection really helped. Yes, it pulled, it pulled everything together. Timing in these is very important. And this someone that you knew, and she said, okay, I'll, I want to read Yeah, it Sarah Nelson, yeah. and um, whom I worked with the Publishers Weekly. And so when it was all ready, Sarah said, send it to me. So I wrote to my agent and said, we need to send this to Sarah Nelson Monday morning. And my agent was like, oh, are you sure you don't want the re... She was like, agents now in New York have another layer of annoyance. It's called the readers. They hire these people that used to have jobs in publishing companies to read manuscripts because they don't want to read them. So the readers read the manuscripts and basically crap all over them. That's what I did. Yeah. That's what I was a reader for um, Lane, Lane Zachary. Zachary's first, you know, yeah. pri- prior so, company. Right. So anyway, she wanted like to like co-op the process, delay it. And I said, no, I've had a, prof- you know, I just told you I had a professional manuscript praise yes, best-selling author. What are you girl. not, what are you not grasping here? We're not waiting for somebody else to read this over the co- next three weeks and get back to me with some report. Send it. Well, and this, I mean, because you've also, I was like good, furious, like, what good. are you not getting? Like, here's somebody at a publishing house who wants to read my book. Send, send it now. Send it. Send it today. Yes. Get those dollar bill signs in Jesus your eyeballs and let's get I was this like, out. I was like, I was like losing it. Anyway, she so she, it. I'm sure right. you adore her. Should she be listening? Um, <laughs> but, but, I don't, but everybody wants to like control the process. When I had everything lined up, send it. Well, you've been doing this a long time. You're also like, you're not... Unlike some authors, you're also like in the business of publishing. Like you right. said, worked at Publishing Weekly. You know, had edited. You know, on the newspaper side. You know, so like you kind of you know the business and you timing. Have, when people say they want something, they want it. And you have contacts. Yeah, yeah they don't, don't want it in two weeks. They want it now. No, don't sleep on it. Like if she says like I want to read it, she wants to read it then. Yeah. If you wait, she may like what what's that? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That, that was that was last it. week. Yeah. You should have sent it like, to me. Uh, well, yeah, you should have sent it to me when I had like. But now like, I have a conference. Like, now yeah, I have I to go have on tour with months. Justin Bieber. I don't have time for you now. So then right. in the year that happens from the sending to the editor to now, so what, what was her that? reaction, that, Sarah Nelson? Oh, Sarah Nelson loved it. She said, I'm going to pitch my heart out, but I've got to oh, run this good. pass. I've got to take it to marketing. I have to take it to foreign rights. i got to show other people at the company, but it's the summer. People are in and out on vacation. Is she pitching it to publishing houses? She's at that? a publishing house. She's, oh, she's, she's, she's the editor. So is that she's Harper? Editor at Harper? Yeah, Perennial. yeah. She's at Harper, so they decide which house should get she it. She had to sell the other divisions of her company. You had to convince, it. you know, the marketing, everyone weighs in. Is this something we can sell? How do we sell it? Who do we sell it what to? What division is this in Harper? This is their paperback original division, Harper Perennial. Gotcha. So they decided that this would be the best fit, it would be more available for people. And at first they were like, we know this isn't fit, the marketplace is very unforgiving and they weren't gonna take it. And then Liza happily and ungratefully worked it out with Sarah behind my back to come up with an offer. And then like, I got an offer, like the firm offer two months later, August 23rd. Gotcha. So it was only a little bit over a year from acquisition to publication. And that offers for an initial printing of a certain amount of copies or something? Well, like it was that. a contract. I had a whole, you know, I had a 16 page contract. There's a bunch of shit going on. Yeah. 
Yeah. And who, but who gets this right? Who gets that right? And they have an option on your. They next. have an option on the second one. Yeah. You know, first pass on the second one. Yeah, that's great. Plane trouble. Plane trouble. <laughs> no, it's going to be the girl with car trouble because all the. All the books now have the word "girl" in the title. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So one <laughs> like of my col- one of my it. colleagues at the New York Post named Billy Heller has a stack of twenty five books, some below his desk, some above his desk, of all the books that have come out in the last several years with the word "girl" in the title. From and it all stemmed with "Gone Girl" and the girl on the train. Yeah. Oh, so now yeah. it's you know the girl at the ATM machine, the girl with but car trouble. But don't you trouble. think you've missed that wave? I have missed that wave, but well, now the new the new wave is like the woman in the window. So it's the woman in the window, the thing in the cellar, the boy on the roof. It's a, the, you know, yeah. the so, car in the showroom. And I I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to spoil like this the the plot the details of the plot of a, of another. But you t- you wrote this other novel that I read and it focuses on a Mexican American illegal immigrant kid who's a teenager um, I forget the time He's period in Los Angeles in 1965 okay, yeah okay so you know and he is like tooling around LA um, and going to the old movie palaces and getting into all kinds of trouble lots of trouble lots bad of bad judgment but he's really young he's like 12, 9. Very sweet, and a very sweet relationship with his mother, and there's, um, you know, there's sexuality issues, there's homosexual sex (laughs) in it, Um, so I really hope that you find takers for that. I have never forgotten that novel. Um, It has some stunning scenes in it that are just shocking, and um, I, I always liked this. I think I read it first, and then I read the other one. Um, I was blown away by that one, and I really, I hope you can get it. Maybe. You hear that, Harper? <laughs> well, there's yeah. more! There's, there's more. more! There's more, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a very complicated story about, you know, I will just say, once upon a time, I knew lots of people who had very trying circumstances in their youth, and they've, you know... They fought against a lot of uh, targeting. They fought against a lot of, you know, you know, adult interests in them, and they weren't always successful. And it changed their personalities as they grew up. So I thought, wouldn't it be good to have that kind of a story told in a book form over a period of time, where he's a kid, then he's an adult. Mm. So there are three sections. Interesting. I think I remember. Uh, I think I remember talking to Lane about it um, after she was kind of done with had, car trouble. <laughs> hadn't really like done much with with car trouble, which wasn't. Well, she thought it was going to be. An, she. I do remember her thinking it would be an auction. So she sent it to eight people at once, even though nobody knew who I was. So when the eight people she sent it to did not bite, she was done with me. Yeah. Mm. And that is a matter of fact if you were listening in Boston Lane Zachary. Uh, no, from that... Surf Avenue in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she though, I think I remember her saying something like, It's really you know, like a gay thing is a really tough sell. 
Um, well, it could, that, that, that could be. Is Nikki ever gay in this? I think it's or last. Was it always a, he was not, always straight. Yeah. yeah. I think it's that less true now. I, I think it's not as difficult a sell now than when she was saying that in the 90s. Yeah, I do remember there was a press called the Allison Press, which had fiction with uh, gay characters and memoirs and biographies. I, yeah, I knew people that worked there. But I'm not sure that press is still in I, existence. It's, it's not. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be ghettoized and. But that's the way publishing like is. They just everything is ghettoized. Everything is, you know, it's just like going to a supermarket and sure. you know the vitamins and the, this are on this aisle and the spices are on this aisle and where's the cereal? But so now that you have a published novel with a reputable publisher, <laughs> um, one hopes that they will take a liking to. That that next book, even if it's not Felix, I, I hope it is. But what it, I know you've got other things up your sleeve. Many things. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see uh, who's interested or not, and who's going to treat me nicely and who's not. <laughs> Who did the cover? Oh, this is uh, the cover is wonderful, and this is by James Iacobelli, who was the art director at Harper, and he has since moved on to the Atria Press, which is the division of Simon and Schuster. The uh, cover type is the license plate font the colors oh, are yeah that's what makes it cool yeah, it's like, Noah, totally. it's like a New York license yeah plate. I would not have I no would not other have book has that. a license plate font and uh, it's blue it's yellow and blue which were the colors of the New York license plates mm, at that time yeah. that's so I clever that. I even look on Google images the fact check that's when everything else is being fact checked by Trent Duffy my copy editor and at one point the, it was yellow and black uh, but it was mostly yellow on blue. And the building is that a specific? This is just a, Brook- a shot of Brooklyn brownstones. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah. the characters don't live in a brownstone. But it says, right. you know, it says Brooklyn. Yeah. As opposed totally. to the Adobe houses of Santa Fe. Sure. Which would have been a perfect You know, well, that would have been an odd choice for. Or the or the Eichlers of Palo Alto. It's uh, how many of these books are getting published? Um, I think a, de- a decent amount. Like a... I can't uh, tell like, you, specifically. Oh, yeah, it's part of the marketing plan. I don't sure, think, sure, I, should, sure, I, don't sure, think sure. I should divulge that. I don't think they'd be happy if I went but out there and said how like, many were printed. If, if I went to, like, Ann Arbor, Michigan, would I be able to find this at a bookstore? I think you could. <gasps> that is so big. Well, it's a national That's publisher. Amazing. It's not like... They're know, not. They're not printing so this cool. in a basement. Sure, I mean, it's, sure. It's, well, and at your events, they sent a whole box of selling. Books. Yeah, nice amounts of your books. Of your I events. sold out in two stores, and I almost sold out last night. That's fantastic. That must feel so good. That's so great amazing. because I was told um, rather uh, uncharitably by several people associated, closely associated with this project that it would not sell. And that... <laughs> yeah. and they know whose who, job it is to sell it. That's right, the and way, they know just, who they are. Just know that this isn't going to sell. And yeah, <laughs> and, just, you know, and you know, you're never going to be James Patterson, and you know, and if, and if Nelson DeMille or Patricia Cornwell put out a book, you're not going to make the bestsellers, and I, t- I told you not to publish this in September, and, I, and it's like... All, wow. all the there was a lot of negative messaging that came out about three days before the pub date. Which oh, that's so hard to, to let that wash. 
passed. Well, it doesn't wash up well on me, <laughs> and I I was really upset. And yeah. uh, you, it's now it's perfect. It's like a great Christmas. So this gift. month, it's a wonderful Christmas. This month gift. has been a lot. It's 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 a huge deal then to like, and you've been going around marketing it a little bit yeah here and there and I'm yeah. just I'll just I'm gonna get back and I'll plant some more and anyone that's a Brooklyn aficionado on your Christmas list get them car trouble and, my, really and, and even my high school put it in there the developmental director of the high school that I went to put it out on the alumni newsletter on three social media platforms everyone's been great that's so nice see even though I'm not James Patterson or Nelson DeMille I still might sell some books. In fact, I am. Well, I like <laughs> that I've had the opportunity, you know, here, along with the lovely Nathan, thank you, um, to finally do something for, you know, getting this book out into the world, which is like having you on a podcast. Thank the, you. The dozens of people that listen to us <laughs> will... Tens of dozens. Hopefully tens of dozens, hundreds, who knows, uh, people in Jakarta... Jakarta. Jakarta, Jakarta, Ireland, Mexico. You know, there's Italy, a, Mexico. There's I think a, your boyfriend is spreading the word. There's <laughs> a there's a bookstore in New South Wales following me on Twitter, which I was so oh my God, taken it's by. It's in Australia, right? Yeah. Are you <laughs> very on, good, Nathan? <laughs> are you on Instagram? I am, but I can never get in because of I problems with my I couldn't find you on Instagram. You need to up your Instagram presence. Yeah, I know. Because I I posted about. The, I, have a, the I have a reading. I have an Instagram ID which you can look. I'll up. link you to all this. R O B E like three four seven five or something. Okay. That's your that's, that's your Instagram name. That's my Instagram I name, and you can look you can research that. And that's look. such a random. You, you, you want to be numbers. easier to find. Yeah, why that. did you pick that? I don't remember. You should, the, your like last a, name should have been in there. <laughs> well, people were yelling at me. You need to be on Instagram, you know? Like I'm always getting yelled at. <laughs> only to only to sell your book. I like know. that's the, that's you know forget like, but Insta- cat pictures or whatever you might put up there, but. I, pictures of your dinner but exactly <laughs> but is there really proof is there are there hard numbers that say Instagram has sold 40% of a total book take? there are whole Instagram personalities that have thousands and thousands of followers that get paid to do things I mean Instagram is a proven platform I know I know there are I mean, I've interviewed actresses who say they get told in auditions that they can't get a role because yes. they don't have enough Instagram followers right. yeah I don't know what they offer authors on Instagram I don't know what that seems like authors of Instagram authors of Instagram <laughs> I, I just uh, what would you say I, I mean I have four, I have 40,000 followers on Instagram so what do you get as an author for that I mean you're not going to get a part in a James Bond movie so what, what would you, you get you can remind them all you got a new book out you just you have a platform to sell your book right okay well no what if you don't want to do Instagram I'm fine with doing it but uh, I'm just having some trouble some car, trouble. Yeah. <laughs> some car trouble. Boy, have I been covering TV long enough? I haven't had to do the pauses. But you're like savvy. Like B. Arthur. You're savvy enough. Well, you didn't, we weren't quite B. Arthur level with that time. I'm but sorry. <laughs> I have time. You have time. You can still work on it. <laughs> but... Uh, you're savvy enough to know that that's that's part of like our our world. It's the today. new world, with the, the social media the market. But you can't get on Insta- Instagram from your computer. You can only do it from your phone that's or your true. iPad. Which that's why is true. that? It's ridiculous. Mobile generation. I think it's smart. But I will say I highly enjoyed the book. I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't an effort. And you're a millennial. 
I started out and I was like, you know what? Oh I'm my god, I've got so many words. I'll read twenty pages. I'll take a nap. And Eric only gave it to me this week. I he was did. like, here, good luck. I was like, oh, oh. I finished it Sunday. <laughs> I divided it up. I said I have to read this many pages a day to get through it. And then I started. God, it was like school. And I was. It was. It was like an assignment because. You know, I don't read all the time. I, read more I know you're you're from the you're from the texting like generation. But um, I said I'll re- I started I'll read twenty pages or whatever, and then twenty pages turned into fifty pages, and then fifty pages turned into a hundred pages, and then the next I'll read to the end of this chapter, and then I was halfway through the next one, and I think that's always a really good sign for a book, when you're just thank you when you just are in it, and you you are able to. Um, describe the world in such a vivid way that we I really felt like I knew where I was and I didn't grow up in Brooklyn I wasn't around in the 1970s 60s when it took place and um, it's always fun to like be in an, in a new environment like that and it was a new environment for me thank you yeah that's you know what that's the the selling thing I mean I've, I've before. I've known Robert for a long time. I was going to buy this book anyway um, because I wanted to support it. So, yeah, the fact that you had that reaction to it, I think, is is compelling. You know, you don't know anything about, you know, um, I have no and that's, that's Robert the author's Rourke job. I met at the beginning of this interview. 45 <laughs> minutes ago. It's your job as a, as a writer <laughs> to get anybody interested, get anybody yeah. to read it, not necessarily... The target audience. Yeah, I don't think you have to be from Brooklyn or anybody. The publishers no, don't think a, that and way. And I also do think this would be a great book for teenagers because yeah. I think it's provocative. And I think when I was in high school or whatever, you, you're, you're you're reading provocative material at that point. You know what I mean? And it, it, but it's not slutty. No, it's not I don't slutty. like slutty books. It's not, but it's it's but decidedly a lot of going to talk about hard things. A lot of kids can relate to having turmoil to deal with at home. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think one of the things that comes through really strongly to me is like your love for and admiration for your own mother, coupled with frustration that she could have ended this problem as an immediate thing um, at any time, you know, just by like saying like, you have to leave, you know um, I think that wouldn't have happened No, but I, I think right. what, what I read though, what I was getting from it is, you know it's just both a love and frustration you know, and, right. and also and, I, and they maybe like um, years later an understanding of of someone's limitations, you know, and just like what was possible, you know, for for someone at that time. I think there's too much chaos for the mother in the book to say you have to go because then she would be the with all the kids. It would be and and getting that guy out of the house. She was. He wouldn't. He wasn't going. I think she it was also, doing it anyway. It also she was, was doing it alone anyway. It builds in a certain right. way. It's not sensationalized. It gets to the points where it gets to in the story, and it makes sense because it builds in a way that is very believable. Where the well, that would have been an easy solution if in scene and, one she's like, "Get out of my house," then the, right. then, the, then it's over. Then the there's thing, no story. The, the, and then we went to AA. The, the turning points. <laughs> Oprah came up. Oprah drove up. We got into her town car. We went to AA. Yeah. The points that happen in the in the 
book built in a certain way to where it totally you're it's like okay 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 now i see how we're here by the time you get through it and as i've said you know it it really does capture brooklyn in the 70s in a in in an amazing way i you know i in the 70s some of that time was in manhattan um never went to Brooklyn, didn't know there Nobody was this did. whole other like <laughs> world going on. And what's interesting is that these characters never go to Manhattan. I mean, you did mention last night that they go, uh, Mickey and his, his uh, sister go shopping in uh, Lower East Side or something like that for a costume for the musical. I didn't even uh, register that that was in Manhattan because I just, I didn't really, it seemed to me like the whole Brooklyn is its own self-contained universe. It has its own beach, you know. Like the, the they, they none of the characters venture beyond Brooklyn. When when the father is you know driving, weaving around, you know, in the cars, he's staying within the parameters of Brooklyn. And even someone who's been in Brooklyn his entire life gets lost in Brooklyn. I know. It was like, that was really funny. I just have to get back to this street. <laughs> Gotta get back to Flushing <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> Jesus, where is it? Because Brooklyn is sprawling. Brooklyn is huge and the, name, yeah. the street, names of the streets keep changing. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know my way around Brooklyn. I, like, I don't know all the, all the assets. Hue, I've been all over it and I still I know all of it. I to to the subway stops, you know, just like, and, stay pretty close to like Brooklyn Heights Park Slope area because otherwise I, I, I it's yeah I didn't mean, I didn't know Williamsburg really well for years I didn't know um, I didn't know Bushwick I still don't but I've been through it on my way to Queens on my bike but I only find out these places by by my bicycle that's really how I know the whole world yeah, you, you don't drive. Uh, car trouble the trouble is you don't have a license <laughs> the tr- that's, that's <laughs> the trouble you've never driven no. You are a New Yorker. <laughs> I am you a New Yorker. So That's so funny. Well, now you don't have to either. Uber makes it so easy. I, I'm having trouble with my Uber and my iPad. I haven't been able to... I don't know what the story is. I can't get through. You can't get through to Uber. I'm having trouble. It's important here You're in having LA. car trouble. <laughs> I'm having car trouble. <laughs> I'm glad that we... We, this is an on location. We this came, is our first on location. Well, uh, second. Actually. We're, we're, we're in, in a, we're in oh, this, we did. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in Marina Del on my first thunder. night. Yeah. But we we usually do it. We make people come to us. But knowing that Robert doesn't drive, um, we came to him. In the go- a gorgeous place. In the luxurious hotel. Jeremy Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one day the hotel can tell the story of how this podcast was filmed. <laughs> this will be like, plaque. yeah, like, this will be should like, put a plaque in this room. Like the yeah. ones I put in, Porta Vallarta, <laughs> when Burton and Taylor were having their affair there during the, the filming of Night of the Iguana. Right, they, 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 <laughs> they, they, they do it like a shattered glass on the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> to <laughs> memorialize <Right>. the suite. <laughs> 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 Just like that. So the book, Car Trouble, it's available everywhere. It's available everywhere. Yeah, you can get it on and Amazon. even on special new release tables at special Barnes and Nobles. That is that is so big. Dude, that's where I shop for the books. You go to that special release table, the the big hit sellers. It's gonna be on there. It's on next, there now. Next to Crazy Rich Asians. Next to Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> and Chinese Rich Girlfriend. <laughs> well, do go out and find it, and maybe it's, it's Robert, also on Amazon. 
and Maybe. Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And Maybe Robert will get better at social media by the time this comes out. Maybe you can find him there. Maybe not. I am on Twitter at Mr. Rourke, uh, capital R, capital M, Mr. spelled out. Good. We will. We will. We will we'll put all that in the info for heavily people. target our promotion of this episode on Twitter, where we have seventeen followers. <laughs> really, that many? Wow, you guys have been—you've been, we don't been really like tweets. We, yeah, but we're gonna get all the Instagram. But don't you on. have like a Twitter followers under Eric Morris? I, do, I was never on Twitter before. I've got like, ever. No. no, I only went on for for weeks. He have... was never on Instagram either. He no. only started it for the podcast. Well, we had to do Twitter to start tweeting out our articles at the post. That was something that we had to do like, right. a long time of ago. Course. Literary is very Twitter. That whole world, journalism. Yeah, I mean, but at some point you do have to complete your assignments. You can't be sure. Tweet. You can't just you tweet. can't be on social media all day. <laughs> Tell that to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, and then Twitter. I mean, Twitter is losing some steam in the social media world. So. All those f- platforms will be subsumed by other platforms down the I line. I hope, because I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. Well, because a lot of mental cases take to Twitter, and they just say horrific things. Yeah, like our president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robert, All right. it's been such a pleasure to Thank have you. Thank you so much on. for having Thank me on. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming here to the Jeremy Hotel. Yes. <laughs> Our today's sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> right. And sorry, stalkers, when you listen to this, it'll be several weeks in the future, yeah, so, so you won't, won't be, be able to here. find any of us here at the Jeremy. Yes, yes I'll, move, I'll have moved on to um, the Huntley or the uh, Beverly Wilshire or <laughs> one of my other luxurious haunts in Los Angeles. One can only hope. Um, yeah, so thanks. If you got this far, of course, I'm sure you already are subscribed, but tell your friends, give us a five-star rating, or don't bother. Yep, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.